Okay, so we have uh, here in five and seven, and by the way, we'll go back to six for, for those of you that are super like uh, type A, like you gotta be going through this. We're gonna get back to six now. We'll do that next week, okay? Five and seven, we hear of this unique person uh, called Mel- Melchizedek. Uh, and it's giving us some idea of this man called Melchizedek and who he was and what he did. Now, the question is why? Why is the scripture talking about this? Well, number one, Going back to the very beginning, the very beginning of this series, what did we say? This whole book is about showing us how Jesus is better. And from the get-go, from the beginning of Genesis all the way through, the Old Testament has been constantly and consistently and powerfully pointing us to Jesus. And we get to see that Jesus is the better Adam. There, he was the Adam who didn't disobey, but obeyed the God all the way, obeyed his father and went all the way through what God asked him to do. He was the better Moses. Moses was the one who brought his people to the promised land. Jesus didn't just bring us to the promised land. He was the promised land. We get to see this all throughout the scripture. We talked about Jonah. All of these people throughout scripture are pointing us and showing us that Jesus is better. And then we come to this character, this man named Melchizedek. And we actually, when you go back to the story in Genesis chapter 14, you get like three verses describing who this guy was. Who was Melchizedek? Let's find out. His name his name's Melchizedek. It's a name you don't often hear. And he is, we find out in scripture, the king of Salem, which happens to be king of Jerusalem. It's called Salem at the moment, at that point. But he, become, he is the king of Jerusalem, and he is also a high priest of God. Now, this is the first time and only time in all of Scripture where you have someone who is both a king and a priest. It never happens. And these are completely different offices, and we'll unpack that in just a moment. But we have to get our minds around the fact that this man, Melchizedek, was a, both a king and a priest. And he comes out, and he meets Abraham, and he does some uh, two amazing things. One, he comes out, and he brings bread and wine. Bread and wine. The king of Jerusalem brings bread and wine to Abraham. It's an incredible picture. I mean, this is... This is the kind of stuff that should, that should blow your mind, that this man would do this. This is, again, a descriptive of the Messiah who would come, Jesus, who would come into Jerusalem, the king, and give bread and wine. Uh, so he gives bread and wine, and then he pronounces a blessing, and Abraham says, uh, uh, we are undone, and he then tithes, he gives a tenth or a tithes, all that he has unto this man. And we get this incredible picture of a king and a priest. Now, the unique thing about a king and a priest is you never see that because they're two completely different offices and they operate on two completely different levels. You have to have differences in king and priest because they're trying to do completely different things. A king is a lawgiver. He's a judge, right? He's overseeing. That's what a king does. King's lawgiver and judge. A priest is a friend and a, a, a counselor. One who comes alongside and can sympathize with the people. One who is broken and in need of his own forgiveness and can come and be a representative for the people. A king is a representative of God to the people. A priest is a representative of the people to God. So these offices are functioning in completely different ways. A king is a person of truth, making sure that there is 
rightness or righteousness in the land. A priest is the person of tears or the person of grace, the one who comes in and, 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 and acquires of the Lord and, and reaches out for mercy, for grace, for the experience of the goodness of God. So this man, Melchizedek, is this shadow or this picture of the one who had come. And we saw, as quoted in the scripture here in Psalm 110, this was the prophecy about the Messiah that comes. come and says, you're going to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek or in the kind of Melchizedek, king and priest. By the way, that came a thousand years after Melchizedek, and that was a thousand years before we saw Jesus, before Jesus comes on the scene. This is how powerful God is in declaring what he is and what he will do in the lives of his people. He will always accomplish his promises. And so we, we step back for just a minute and we say, okay, Jesus was going to be the one that's going to come in the order of Melchizedek, king and priest. We step back and go, listen, everybody's awesome with Jesus as king, right? The one who carries truth, the one who comes, the one who literally spoke uh, existence or spoke the universe by the word of his power, the one who upholds even at this moment uh, the universe by the word of his power. We see God reigning as king when we talk about him as the one over all. He is the one that's ruling and reigning. His name is above every name. When we think about Jesus, no problem thinking about him as king. But here's the question. What about priests? We have an interesting relationship with priests, I would say, especially in modern days. They had priests all the time back then. Every religion had some kind of priest back then. But priest is kind of a different ballgame in these modern times. We're not really familiar with it. And I'm just guessing when I say the word priest, it doesn't always bring up like these warm, fuzzy feelings. In fact, a lot of the nature or the conversation around priests is not very positive. Now, some of you grew up Catholic and maybe you had a great experience. And I thank God for that uh, if you had great experience with the priest. But oftentimes when we say the word priest, what do we say? What does that actually mean? What does that actually do for us? Why do we need a priest? Why is it important for this writer to point this out in our lives? Why a priest? And the Hebrew writer is going to point to this and say, listen, we need a priest because every day we live on trial. Every day we live on trial. And of course, we know if you've gotten to be a part of this series, these people are going through an incredibly difficult time themselves. Every day we live on trial in our lives. See, the priest isn't just a cool religious figure. The priest is one who stands as an advocate, who goes before the people and on their behalf as what the scripture says, as an interceder. We're going to get to that in just a minute. The question is this, how are we on trial? What does it look like for you and I to be on trial? Because this is true of every human being. Listen, every day, every day, we wake up and we have a reality that is forming in us all the time. And here's, here's the question we ask. Am I enough? We may not always consciously think about it, but this is what is often driving us, right? Right? We live on trial by asking the question, am I enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I, do I earn enough? Am I good enough? Do people want to be around me? Do people accept me? 
Am I a good person or am I a bad person? If I'm a good person, how good am I? If I'm a bad person, how bad am I? Am I beautiful or am I ugly? Morally, spiritually, personally. In all these questions, what we have absolutely fully understood, it is an immutable truth about all of humanity. As we have figured out, we are not enough. We're not enough. And every day we live with these questions and we walk looking uh, for answers to this, living on trial, asking the question. And so what we'll do is we'll go around and, and, and we'll hope we have a hope of what we might look like to other people. Maybe we, how we can present ourselves to other people. But deep down inside, we're living on trial wondering, do I actually measure up? And you and I can't not care about this. We're searching for it outside of us. And no matter, listen, no matter how hard we try, uh, we can't live, you and I can't, can't live satisfied with our own evaluation of ourself, our own verdict, our own pronouncement over ourself. It's not enough. We have to look outside, whether we're good enough, bad enough, lovable, unlovable. We can't live with our own valuation. It's not enough. We keep looking outside. We live on trial every day. We deeply and desperately need pronouncement from the outside. Uh, you guys, um, how many of you had to, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you had to read um, Death of a Salesman or were in the play Death of a Salesman when you went through high school? Anybody else had to go through that? Vaguely remember it. But I, I, I learned a little, uh, something about the author. He was a really unique guy. Arthur Miller was the, uh, the playwright for this, and he, um, he passed away about 15 years ago. But uh, he was, as he grew up, he said something. He goes, uh, I got old enough to where, you know, I didn't have to, I didn't believe in God anymore. And he was talking about moving on from believing in God, but he said he found something incredibly interesting that even though uh, uh, he had moved on from the idea of God, he had this sense of judgment that he carried around all the time. He said, even after I passed on from the idea of God, what I found is I started looking to other people around me that felt like he needed to prove himself to others constantly. And so he, he, all he said is, I went from coming to God to have to prove myself to trying to have to go to other people, but he couldn't get away from the fact that he constantly was needing to prove himself, which is an unbelievably powerful statement because that's all of our experience. The book of Romans talks about this incredibly plainly, and here's what it says says, listen, you can try to deny up here that there is a God, but what we all know deep down here, right in here, is that there isn't, uh, it's not just that there is a God, but what we find is that we are in deep, deep need because we've fallen so categorically short. We've not measured up and we recognize something. We're not enough. We're looking for it in some way, we so desperate to be affirmed deep down, to be loved in spite of falling short. And so we're constantly living on trial, coming after verdicts, coming after pronouncements. What do you think? What do they think? Well, they give this to me. We're looking for a word from the outside in here. Underneath all of that, 
we come to the Lord of the universe. We come looking for a word from the Lord of the universe because he is the ultimate one who sits, if you will, at the bench. If you, the idea of living on trial, he's the one that sits at the bench over. He's the ultimate court that we come before, and we need to hear what he has to say. And the question is this. If you and I live on trial every day, then are you going into that courtroom alone? That's the question. Every one of us looking for hope and for purpose. And the question is this. Are we living on trial? Are you going into that courtroom alone? Are you going into the courtroom alone? I can't think of a more terrifying thing to go into a courtroom alone. In fact, I don't know. Have you guys, um, you ever seen Judge Judy? You guys know what I'm talking about? Judge Judy? Back in the, like, way old days, it was the People's Court. Old Judge Wapner. Anybody? Okay. Probably not. Uh, judge Judy, it's a, it's a TV show where there's a judge, and she's pretty harsh. And um, it's an amazing TV show. Well, I say that. I mean, I've only seen, like, a half of a couple episodes. But you get the picture. What happens is... Uh, you have two people that come before Judge Judy. And um, the unique thing about coming before Judge Judy is it's two people who come, who plead their own case before the judge. And just being honest with you, it's a dumpster fire every time. It's, it's just chaos. And that's why it's a good TV show. It's fascinating to watch people try to be their own advocate. It's a mess. It's so bad. You Listen to me. You don't want Judge Judy faith, all right? You don't want to be going in there where you don't have an advocate, where you don't have a rep. In fact, I've been a part of a leadership cohort for like the last three months, and I've gotten to be, I've gotten to get to know an attorney who's a part of this cohort together, and we're studying and learning God's heart. And I, I, it didn't take 30 seconds hearing him talk, and I go, oh my gosh, that guy's brilliant. That guy's that guy would be a great representation, representative. Like, I would never want, I, I don't know about you, I would never want to go into a courtroom trying to appeal on my own. That's a bad, bad, bad idea. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, you don't, you, you and I live on trial every day, you don't ever, ever, ever have to go into a courtroom alone. You have over and for you right now a high priest, an advocate who goes before you and pleads your case. You are never, ever, ever, ever alone. You and I are living on trial wondering if we're, we've got what it takes and we know deep down in and of ourselves we don't. And we stand before the God of the universe who demands holiness and righteousness because he's holy and righteous. And I can tell you, you and I don't want to be the ones who stand alone. And God says, child, I've loved you too much for you to have to stand alone. I'll send my son who will stand in your place. He'll be your advocate. You don't ever have to be alone. And the writer of Hebrews wanted these people who were going through it, going through the difficulty, living on trial, each and every day to know. If you want to know if you matter, guess what? You do. But it won't come from your self-effort. 
and it won't come from your abilities, and it won't come from your talents, and it won't come from your achievements, and it won't come because that person thinks you're awesome. It will come simply because my son has come to stand in your place for you and on your behalf, to give you his life so that you have life. That's what he does. You look back at verse 22. It says, that makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. A better covenant. See, the former priests were many in number, verse 23, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, they, meaning they couldn't keep going in office. You had to get another one. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. He continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save how much? To the uttermost, those who draw near to God, where? Through him, through him, since he always lives, or another translation would say, he lives forever to make intercession for us. Jesus gets to step in as the high priest and say, I'm the advocate. I'm your intercessor. What does it mean to have an intercessor? What does it mean? It means the intercessor is the one who stands in front and takes the place, says, I'll go before you and plead on your behalf. Which, by the way, if you think about the idea of Jesus standing, it may not bring a whole lot of life. You go, well, how often is Jesus having to plead my case? Like, all the time. I mean, does all the time. You ever felt like you're going like, this is a, I'm, I'm broken for the 515th time. Does Jesus ever get like exhausted? Like, does he go, I mean, what does it look like for Jesus to stand as the intercessor? Does he stand before the Father going, sorry again, you know, I think they'll get it one day. You know, like, what does that actually look like? What does it mean for the intercessor to stand is that what? No way. In fact, the scripture says it's actually the exact opposite. Look at what it says in verse 27. It says, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. What it means for Jesus to be our intercessor and our advocate is for Jesus not just to stand in front and say, oh, please, God, have mercy. What it means is he stands in front to say, you're the righteous judge and you require righteousness. And I gave my life for them. He didn't just come say, ah, I hope, please give him mercy one more time. He says, I absorb the wrath of the Father on my body so that I stand here. And when you see them, you see my beauty and glory. When you look, when the Father looks on you and me, guess what he sees? The radical majesty of the Son of God, the spotless Lamb. That's what he sees. And that's who you and I are. That's what it means to have an intercessor. Yes. Is one who stands in front and says, I'm willing to take the wrath. Here, 
Listen, there is wrath against all sin. Every way we put it. Jesus had to go to the cross for what? There was wrath. Sin has separated. We have degraded the glory of God. It was wrong. We've all borne it. We've had it in us. And God said, I love them too much to leave them on their own. They need an advocate. They need an intercessor. And there was only one who could intercede for us, the perfect spotless one. So hear this. So that when you and I come before the Father, God isn't the one, you know, it's possible that it's, it's easy to think that God's going, oh man, you again. Okay, here we go again. God, the Father, when he looks at you and me, hear this. He isn't looking begrudgingly. He isn't the old man who's flustered because you've upset his day. Because we have Jesus Christ as our intercessor and advocate, when you and I call on him for life and for joy, for hope, for peace, for forgiveness, when he stands, then when he looks at you and me, he sees the perfection of his son. And he calls us into deeper places with him. Doesn't mean that we have a perfect life. What it means is we have perfect position for the father. And when we have that church, when you and I believe and actually step into this blood bought position as the righteousness of God, hear this. You, when you and I carry the righteousness of God, then when you and I come to that place in him, then it begins to shift and change the way that we live. It begins to change the way that we think about ourselves. And we stop running from God and hiding from him when we mess up. And when we mess up, we start running to him because he's the only one who can do anything about it. When you and I are broken in sin, that have so beset us and plague us and frustrate us. And we want to come cowering and looking down like orphans. And God's saying, no, child, you come to me because I'm the one that has life for you. Trust me. That's what it means to have an intercessor. That's what it means to have an advocate, a high priest who goes before us. The father gets to beam with delight because you and I have been covered by the beauty of Jesus. This is the position we've got to have as we come before the Lord. And so when you and I actually embrace Jesus as our advocate, then it begins to do some things. And I'll, a team, you guys can go ahead and come up. I'm just going to give you a few things that it does. And then we'll go because we're actually going to take time. We get to do communion together uh, on the, uh, typically on the first Sunday of every month. But I want you guys to have just these things that you're going to hold fast to. If you're going, if Jesus is my advocate, then what does that mean for me? A couple things. You ready? Stay with me. Number one, you and I start walking in a brand new identity, brand new identity. Meaning when God looks at you, you have to begin to believe that when he sees you, he sees you like a jewel, like a diamond lit up reflecting what? Not our ability, not our uh, lives. We reflect the glory of God. To have a new identity, to understand. We come before the court and we ask him to give us his light, his life. And that's a kind of confidence that we are meant to have when we approach God. God wants us fully confident. In fact, we're gonna just, 
uh, walk over this scripture in, in, in Hebrews chapter four in just a moment. God wants us fully confident when we come before him walking in our new identity. Number two, hear this. Toxic guilt is put to death. I, I, I am convinced guilt destroys more, toxic guilt destroys more faith than almost anything else. When guilt sets in over us. I don't know about you guys, but I'll have a voice all the time saying, how dare you? You don't belong. You liar, you betrayer. You're worthless. You ever hear those things? They come around all the time. I'm tempted to listen to that voice all the time. You don't have what it takes. Who are you? You ever hear those things? The accusations of the enemy? Jesus comes and he smashes toxic guilt and says, you don't sit under a load of shame and guilt. You come up and you be released and be given freedom. And then because of that, because Jesus is for us, because he sees us in the beauty of his son, or because the father sees us in the beauty of his son, and because toxic guilt gets put to death, then you and I actually get to experience some levity that comes from actual true freedom. Meaning this, when that accusation comes, when that heavy hand against you, that pointing finger comes, you and I, I don't know, you know when the, even when the enemy comes and says, ah, oh, you're not enough. You know what a great answer is? <sighs> yeah, you're right. I'm not enough. I never have been. Good news, this thing isn't hinged on me. It's hinged on my Savior, right? You have somebody, you have somebody accusing you from the outside, right? Speaking against you and saying harsh things or coming against you, right? You can actually kind of just go, yeah, you don't even know the half of it, right? I'm a mess, but I have a Savior who's been before me. He goes before me. He pleads my case. He's given me his righteousness. The Father, when he looks at me, he sees the beauty of his Son. And we get to stand in the levity of who he is and what he's done for us. We get to trust that what God says is more real than anything else that has ever been spoken. And that's what's important. So here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna take the last few minutes. We're gonna take these last few minutes together. And we're just gonna have an opportunity to experience the goodness of God through communion, where his blood was shed and his body was broken on our behalf. I'll go back to Hebrews. I'm going to read this over you, and then we're just going to get to remember what this is about. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since we have this great high priest, this advocate, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, hear this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When's the time of need? Right now, every moment. We get to come hands open and say, I'm in need. Let's run with confidence to the throne of grace. We'll do that. It's the most powerful and intimate things we can do on that night Jesus sat down with his disciples he took his clothes off and he washed their feet and then he 
gathered them together to eat. But on a normal night, they all had their own individual cup. But on the night they came together, Jesus said, I want you to take my cup. And he gave his cup and they drank from it. It's the most intimate moment we've ever seen in scripture. And then you even have a moment, John uh, chapter 13 tells us that uh, John literally leaned up on Jesus, up against him. He was so connected to the heart of Jesus, he was able to lean in towards him, right? To be able to say, you're the safe place I've always been looking for. You're the safe place. You are the safe place. There is no other safe place aside from you. That's the power of what we get to do when we take communion today. So I'm just gonna pray for us. Our team's gonna worship over us and I'm gonna give you just a moment to reflect, to get your heart ready. In a moment, I'll have you come down. Uh, after they sing over us, they're gonna come down. You guys come down the middle and you can receive the elements and then go back around out to the sides, go back to your seat. As soon as you receive the elements, you can take them. Uh, or if you wanna take them back to your seat and reflect and then take them. But we're just gonna have a moment, let our worship team uh, worship over us. And let's just let the Lord stand as our advocate as our intercessor, as the one who stands before us and who has given us his life. So we'll process this. I'm gonna pray over us and then uh, our team will, will worship. Father, thank you for this moment to come before you full of radiance because of your son. Because his body was broken and his blood was shed so that we could have life in a new covenant, a better covenant one that is able to save fully. So thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We honor you and we bless you. Be with us now.